What is up, everybody? It's Andrew Undum, real estate agent here in Baltimore with Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. Thank you so much for checking out the podcast. Go ahead and subscribe. I have got a list of guests coming that are gonna really knock your socks off. If you're into real estate, sales, negotiation, marketing, leadership, wealth building, you're gonna wanna subscribe to this podcast. I can't wait to take you on the journey with me here with the Andrew Undum Podcast. I'm here with a guest um, who created the Forever Agent Movement, who is the brains behind all the tactics and strategies within the Forever Agent concept, Mr. Alan Dalton. So Alan, before I turn it over to you to introduce yourself, um, I just want to say thank you for coming out and thank you for giving us the ammo we need to make a difference wherever your market is within the Berkshire Hathaway Home Services Global Network. Well, Andrew, first of all, it's great to be here with you. I want to begin by saying something that I think would be very relevant to everyone in the audience. I'm part of the Forever Agent movement. It started with Gino and then Christy and then Wendy Durand and Bob Watson. It really takes a village and we've got a lot of... Uh, Brokers, George Patio, Ray Mesa, uh, Candace Adams, uh, um, uh, Kevin Wagerman, um, and, and so forth and so on. We've got so many people that are part of this movement. So I just wanted to make that observation as we get going here. Yeah, absolutely. People are probably already asking, what is the Forever Agent? And we will get into it. And yes. you mentioned this is going to be a bit of an anthology because we have 40 plus <clears throat> talking points that each one of these points could be a two hour podcast in and of itself. And we'll get there. So in the spirit of a comprehensive overview, an anthology, if you will, I want to dive into this. Now, I'm going to give away a lot of my secrets. If anyone's watched any of my content, I've been ripping off Alan's stuff for a long time, but we want to unleash the power of this stuff to the entire global network. I'm telling you firsthand, as one of the, I think we're the seventh biggest team at Berkshire Hathaway, this stuff works if you take the time to study it. So you're going to hear a lot of information and it takes you know, a serious focus on really digesting what Alan's going to share with you today. Because if you take it seriously, you're going to find ways that this can really impact how you see the world, how you see the industry, how you see yourself, what role you play. So I'm going to jump right into it. Ready? Here's the first loaded question. It's a big one. You're the first person I ever heard talk about this, by the way, in my 12 years, which is why do we need to evolve from the micro obsession to the macro mastery? So first, what's the micro obsession and what is macro mastery? What do you mean? Well, the reason we have to become more macro because we're doing a great job with the micro is because all of the threats and future challenges that will continue to arise are coming at the industry at the macro level. Artificial intelligence, crypto, not that that's a threat, but that's going to be a transformational change. Um, people discount all fees are negotiable as we both know, but Hundreds of millions of dollars, I believe, will be invested into enticing consumers to select their agent on the marketing side based on ratings, reviews, and rebates. And these are macro changes. The industry has done a fabulous job at the micro level. The micro level is the interpersonal. It's the end of the funnel. It's after people come through the tunnel from the macro to the micro. And we've got many sales courses. We've got a lot of psychology of sales, um, personality profiling. If somebody leans forward, you should lean forward. If somebody crosses their arms, you should cross your arms and profiling people. And that's all great in seven different ways of closing and the, the sense of urgency close, the alternate choice close, the Ben Franklin close. We've done a great job at the sales level, but I believe 
we have to evolve from not being overwhelmingly a sales industry to a sociology industry. We've got to go, in my opinion, from the psychology of sales to the sociology of marketing, social media, and content development, because that's where you have to first win the battle to engage consumers at the macro level. You know, Al, when I heard this concept, I, I used to fight you on this. I used to say, no, sales is so important. I'm a sales guy. Hey, I'm good at sales. If you're not good at sales, you're not going to be able to succeed. And now it's not saying sales is not important. It's quite the right. contrary. Say, exactly. look, we got it. We understand that you have to have good interpersonal skills and you have to listen and ask good questions. But it's about thinking a little bit bigger and how to focus on not psychology, but more sociology. That's the key. Not psychology, but sociology. So talk a little bit more about these macro sociological elements that, that we all could brand ourselves better with. Well, let me give you a specific example. In 1929, I wasn't quite alive back then, but in 1929, DISC was introduced by a gentleman by the name of William Marston at Harvard University. And as you probably know, it bases on four basic uh, personalities, the D and I and S and a, a C, and most coaching programs make that, if not the centerpiece, one of the value components. Oh, big time. Okay, well, that's, that's interesting. And so, and so I, I believe that that's at the micro level. But what we have is that we have people who understand that that's a very accurate test. Myers-Briggs is an accurate test. But we have a lot of agents who have corrupted the original intent, and they're actually doing disk guessing instead of disk testing. They, they discovered that, boy, this is amazingly accurate in helping me to better understand my personality profile. And that's how corporations used it, Andrew. They used it as a self-discovery tool, and then they would be able to more effectively communicate, and the recipient would have a better understanding of their strengths, their weaknesses, their predilections. And everybody loved the test because it doesn't measure intelligence. It's not judgmental. Right. And there's great success stories in each of the four um, alphabet letters, okay? Right. But as I said, unfortunately, a lot of people are now using that to basically profile consumers as opposed to taking the similar amount of attention to understanding population segments at the sociology level. So that's great that we have DISC and we have NLP, and if somebody's auditory, how does it sound to you? Right. And if somebody, and people can even go further. We can go into numerology, astrology, and I, I actually did a workshop once on the difference between working with sociopaths and psychopaths, or left-handed and right-handed people. That's all at the micro level. We first have to be conversant and address the unmet needs of major swaths of the society. And that's what Steve Jobs said. Right. Steve Jobs said the, the key to success is not just market segmentation, but desegmentation. Look for the largest swath of commonality. Okay, who doesn't want to have an iPhone? Who, does, who doesn't want to go to Google? That's where we have to do a better job at the top of the funnel. Well, I love what you said about DISC. And when you're comparing these things, and like, look, it's a valuable tool, but... What people do is they pretend that since they were tested, that they're now a master of it and they can immediately identify your personality. Like if I'm sitting here, because I went through DISC, hey, you're probably a C. I know you're in research and development, so you're probably really analytical. And I'm trying to label somebody. Look, people don't want people to do that to them. When I'm oh, coming to your not. house to sell yeah. your house, yeah. 
you don't want me to come in to try to find out how I can judge you and how I can try to manipulate no you does. based on. And the fact of the matter is, you can't do it anyway. Yeah. I don't care how good you are because you, exactly. you didn't perform the test. Yeah, yeah. So, but Andrew, the rationale would be somebody would say, oh, I'm doing this so I can better serve you. But that would be the response uh, to that. But see, but, but otherwise, the industry has to make this decision that if this is so powerful, then we shouldn't be concealing this talent, this skill, this psychiatric skill that we've developed. Because if a person's taken a two-hour course on how the brain works, or that so psychopaths have a bigger frontal lobe and the part of the brain or whatever it is, if we have if we have if we have acquired this deep, profound psychological ability, why is it being concealed? Why are we telling consumers, why aren't real estate agents telling consumers, by the way, I want you to know I have developed the ability that in an open house, if 40 people come through within five minutes with couples, I'll be able to profile them and address them accordingly because I have this acquired knowledge, okay, within a two or three day course followed by chicken fricassee at a Holiday Inn. Why are we concealing this? How come we're not letting the world know that we've got this amazing skill? It can't, it, we've, got to, we've got to maybe rethink if it's that powerful, let the world know that we've got this ability. Well, I made the mistake of fighting Alan on it because I am a believer in this, and so is he. If you take I'm a big test. believer if you take the test. But what it boils down to is it becomes more of, you know, I like the saying, I don't suffer fools lightly, but it is a fool's game. It's up there with astrology, numerology, and, and that sort of thing. Well, give me your birthday, and I'll tell you how I'm going to communicate with you, too. It's just stop it. So, okay, so that's... In the, other words, in, in, in one way of saying it, again, disc testing a big yes. Disc guessing a big no. Right, same with visual, auditory, or tactile. There's all these little strategies you learn once you go through... The micro level. At the micro level. We need to go more macro. Exactly. So give me, before we jump to the next topic, because this one's big, and this is going to be the topic of many future podcasts, give us some examples of the macro things we could be thinking of in, instead of trying to profile our, our potential clients at a marketing presentation. Or, with, or to make sure you have the opportunity, because a lot of, a lot of um, realtors will say this, I get 90% of all my listing presentations. Therefore, they don't need help at the micro level. They just need to have more presentations. That starts at the macro level. That's my problem. That starts at the macro level. Okay, and not only that, 75% of homeowners, according to the National Association of Realtors, only bring in one realtor. Realtors have been trained how to sell and how to be interpersonal. That's in the DNA. They've done that masterfully for many, many years. For example, I sold life insurance for seven years, and I managed it. And back then, we had DISC, we had NLP, we had 15 different ways to close, sense of urgency, take it away sale. We had all of that because we were a selling industry back then. Then they became financial planners, and now they're into more of a macro and a consultative industry. And I know there's something called consultative selling, but that, again, is at the micro level. And so uh, the, so the only examples... So the examples that I can give you may be seen as outdated because I'm, not, I'm no longer directly in brokerage as you are. You've got one of the best teams in the country. I'm in research and development. And so I not only study today's trends and traje trajectories, I spoke at Inman on blockchain and crypto and the metaverse, but when I think of sociology, it takes me back to how I helped build my company to 60 offices. One of the things 
is that I came up with the idea of doing homes guides, and I brought this in, in five different languages, six different languages. We did them in Chinese, Japanese, Spanish, Russian, and English. Uh, maybe that's five. Here's an example of one in Chinese. This would be macro. So when we did this, we weren't thinking, well, which people, which of the people who speak Chinese are Ds? Which one might be Ss, okay? Because we never get to meet these people if we don't address sociological needs in terms of that. Then, for example, when, when you have listings and markets that are so-called expiring, right. and again, these are my only examples, so forgive me if this dates me, but I created the marketing upgrade system, so I was with Murphy Better Homes and Gardens back then, so I created the, the Realist Upgrade Program. Do you guys realize how good that is? If anyone here is calling expireds, why wouldn't you have your own program called the Realist Upgrade Program? Yeah, because well, guess, look at the word that the industry uses, expired. Expired. No, let's use better terminology. Let me call somebody and say, Andrew, I'd like to come by and show you how we can upgrade your listing, upgrade the marketing. Yeah, who wouldn't want to upgrade their yeah. own listing? So then I created the marketing upgrade system. So it was all about how we can upgrade the marketing through a realist. We're going to upgrade the listing, and now then I made it the marketing upgrade system. So this is sociology. This is a large swath of the community. When people talk about serving millennials, that's the combination of both demographics. Demographics would be the age. Right. Then there's psychographics because millennials have a propensity for certain types of behavior. Sure. So the more that we serve large swaths of the community sociologically, then we're more likely to not be disrupted at that level. See, I was CEO of Realtor.com. That was at the sociological level because what person didn't want more access to homes for sale? What homeowner wouldn't want more robust pictures and, and videos and virtuals and neighborhood information? This is the sociology. This is the marketing emphasis and a lot of the coaching because coaches can't develop marketing systems. They can't create your websites. They can't create your contact management system. So all they're left with is interpersonal accountability versus causing wonderful realtors like yourself to paint on a larger sociological canvas. One of my biggest takeaways after spending the last three days with you now is that I've kind of mastered the micro. I'm good at the micro. I'm good at sales. You're great at the micro. And, and that's fine. And what I've kind of had the epiphany of is, hey, because I wasn't focusing on it, I'm pretty bad at the macro. I don't have any programs that address the macro. And here's one mistake I won't make again. Alan pulls up these things. Some of them are from the 80s, 90s, whatever. I mean, you ran a ton of massively successful companies. And I said, oh, what is that from 1970? And what I found was he's so far ahead that he thought of the things that we're still trying to struggle to put into place now. He was already doing them in the 70s and 80s. Guys, principles don't change. Tactics do. And we're going to get into that. So he's not saying video is not important. Social media is important. But from a sociological standpoint, what swaths of the market are we attacking? And you didn't even say some of your most brilliant stuff, in my opinion, which is how about the lifestyle planning guide? How about moving with pets, moving with kids, upsizing, downsizing? Don't go into it. We're going to get to that. But these are all core macro things that the global network has provided for us. All this is in the resource center if you're a Berkshire Hathaway network member. And it's almost criminal that these agents aren't using it. Well, Andrew, we're blessed Berkshire Hathaway Home Services Global Network, that is, right. with having Wendy Durand, the Senior Vice President of Global Network Marketing. Because Wendy is a marketing guru in every sense of the word. 
And that's why it's been a joy for me as a content developer and a visionary of consumerism without being too self-platitudinous here. Uh, Wendy has worked with me and then with her team in developing all of those assets. And, and, and it's good that she's a avant-garde marketing person because a lot of brands don't have the marketing talent that we have in Wendy. They approach marketing from the advertising level. We have to make a distinction between advertising and marketing. TV shows, for example, like Mad Men, yeah. that was an ad agency. 50, 60 years ago, the word marketing wasn't in the popular lexicon because there wasn't research and development. There wasn't social media. People didn't do research. They didn't test trends and trajectories. It was all about advertising and selling. And just as advertising disciplines have evolved to marketing, the entire real estate industry, in my opinion, must evolve from more of a psychology of sales mindset to be deliberately redundant here to one of sociology and marketing and, 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 and a manifestation of this quite necessary shift can be found in marketing resource and all of the programs that Wendy Durand and her fabulous team have spearheaded under, under Christy Budnick's direction. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I got to give a shout out to Bob Watson, who we've been with for the last couple of days, because they're rolling out the Forever Agent group coaching. And that's going to be gangbusters for anybody who wants to dive in and really try to master this stuff. Amen. We're make it he's, he's, a, he's a brand treasure. Yeah, we got so much talent. Our bench is so deep, it's borderline ridiculous. So switching topics, yep. because that, that's a big one. We can talk about sociology oh, yeah, no, or psychology exactly. forever. And yeah. by the way, it wouldn't get old to a student of the game. You got to be a student of this stuff um, or else you might get left behind. Well, you know, Socrates once said that a life unexamined is not worth living. I believe that a career unexamined is not worth having. A lot of people want to focus more just on the tricks of the trade. We need to get into the trade. We need to not just serve communities, but more importantly, represent communities. Sounds like political talk. What do you mean by that? Well, that's the wonderful thing about it is that it is political talk. In my role in research and development, I not only research very forensically the entire real estate industry, I research other industries and other consumer-facing entities. And one of the most prominent consumer-facing entities would be the politicians. Of note is that something like 95% or more of Congress people get reelected each four years. Now, these, these Congress people, they are, it was it four or six years, I forget, but they get reelected on, on every term. Right. Now, when Congress is polled, at times 10, 15, 20% of only 10, 15, 20% of the public respects Congress in general. Why then do over 95, and one time it was almost up to 99%, there's no loyalty gap there. Why don't Congress people, why aren't they beset with the real estate industry loyalty gap? Here's why. Because they don't serve communities as much as they represent communities. Now, what's the difference? There's not a fiduciary difference because... Um, Politicians don't have a fiduciary responsibility to your, to your community. If they want to put a cell phone tower in, you may hate it because they're not representing you, but they're, but they're serving, they're representing the community. They're not serving is what I'm saying, okay? Right. 
And so I looked up the definition of representation. And one of the classic definitions is representation means or can be defined as telling a story. Now, over the last seven to 10 years, the concept of being a storyteller has captured the imagination of our whole industry. Yes, it has. You can't go anywhere without people either talking about what's your why, or you've got to be a storyteller, or I don't sell real estate, I sell lifestyle. That's been, if there was a word cloud, that's what we're dealing with in today's marketplace, right? But, but only a realtor can represent a community. Other adults can serve the community. I can own a bakery. We just went to the coffee shop. The owners of the coffee shop can also work on the July 4th parade. They could work in a soup kitchen. They could do, donate blood at the, at the Red, Cross, Red Cross Center. Everybody can serve the community. Only a realtor can represent the community because only a realtor can be the storyteller of the community. But what's happening is that with the advent of video and the greater emergence of video, and when you couple the emergence of video with social media metrics that you should keep videos under two minutes or 90 seconds or whatever, 90 seconds doesn't give you enough time to capture Bel Air. See, no one can capture Bel Air. You can capture a snippet of it. So what we have is that we have a lot of realtors who are very wise to do this, pumping a lot of videos that also leverage them, that showcase them. But that's something that doesn't capture the imagination and it doesn't tell the entire community that you are the spokesperson. And here's the other thing about, so that's representing as the storyteller. Even the mayor doesn't know the schools, the neighborhoods. In fact, I may not be right, but I'm convinced, Andrew, that most realtors will know more about their town than any home in their town. You know more about Bel Air, Andrew, than you'll ever know about any home you're putting on the market. That's the greatest untapped knowledge, experiential knowledge and wisdom that must be packaged and brought out to the community. So when people go to the community and say, which realtor in Bel Air does the best job of representing the entire town? It's you, Andrew. But the only way you're going to represent, you've got to understand, the only way we have access to people is through their concerns. So if you're strategic and at the macro level versus the micro level, you ask yourself this question. What is the common thread that every homeowner in Bel Air has in common? And the answer is quite simple. They all want their home values to go up. Is there a correlation between the perception of their town and the home values? Absolutely. Of course there is. That's why we've got to help more people do world-class videos, maybe seven to ten minutes, that basically become the, the storyteller of that town in such a powerful way that you'd want to rent out the local movie theater when they open up and showcase it to the town. So that's representing is storytelling. Serving is volunteering. God, people can never do enough. Doing a lot for charities, the Red Cross, networking, that's serving the community. Because over the years, I've seen thousands of realtors. When I ran Realtor.com, I checked out everybody's website. Thousands of realtors would say, serving the community for 20 years. Very seldom would I ever, I, I, I don't remember ever seeing one realtor say, representing the community for 20 years. That's what politicians do representing the community. You know, I've heard you say in the past, language is the clothing of ideas. 
And this is not just semantics. That is so powerful. So what we've covered so far is going from micro to macro, psychology to sociology, going from just serving. Because look, everybody serves. Of course, you got to serve. You got to play your part. But if you, you want to be a forever agent, and again, that's what this is about, you got to figure out how to represent places. And I'm, in my head, I'm thinking, wow, well, I do represent Canton, the neighborhood in Baltimore we were at the last yeah. few days. I represent Brewers Hill. I sure as heck represent Bel Air. I was born and raised here, moved back, got three kids here. I'm going to live here forever. So it's, that's what I'm saying. You go deep with this stuff. Give it the time of day because it's going to elevate you as a, uh, an agent that doesn't have past clients but has forever clients. We're going to come back to that. Andrew, before we move on, let me also say this. Sure. The residents of Bel Air do not need Andrew Undham to serve their communities. They love you to join in hundreds of others. Right. Every homeowner needs you to represent the community. And for example, if the Chamber of Commerce came to you and said, it's like I always say, Alan, how are you different? Rather than focus how I'm different, I'd rather focus how we have to make your property different. Right. I don't compete with other agents here in town, but your home competes. I actually cooperate, but your home doesn't cooperate. But not only does your home compete against other towns, Bel Air competes against other towns. So the way that I'm different is how we're going to make both your home different and distinctive and the community. And, when the com and so if the mayor of town came to you and said, Andrew, you're charismatic. You've lived here all your life. You're a natural spokesperson. Who better would like to pay you? It wouldn't be enough for you. We'd like to pay you $100,000 a year to be the director of, of lifestyles promotion in this town. Do you think you'd do a world-class video? Of course you would. Right. But real, many realtors are too busy just doing snippets, a little neighborhood, and, and they've got to be all over it. God bless them. And that's why I, I get 60 likes. No, there might be 5,000 homeowners. You've got to get 50,000. You've got to get 5,000 loves. And you're only going to do that if you represent the community with a world-class video. Well, you know what they're too busy doing? They're too busy worrying, hey, he leaned in. Should I lean in? <laughs> hey, did I lean back? He giggled. Yeah. Do I start giggling now? Matching yeah. and hearing? You're sounding like a D here. <laughs> you're sounding like a D here. Well, hey, I yeah. hope you go back and rewind that. Cause that's one of about, there's, there's, the list is, is so long of what we call Dalton's distinctive dialogues. And we own them at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. Thank God we do. But that's a powerful line. I've been using it. Hey, I don't compete with other realtors. I actually cooperate with exactly. them. Exactly. That's true. We're cooperating brokers. Everyone understands that in concept, but your house competes with other homes. And oh, by the way, your town competes with other towns. So instead of focusing on how I'm different, let's focus on how we can make sure your house and, your, and how we showcase the homes different. That's brilliant. Out of all the marketing proposals and listing presentations people have given, it's astronomically low the amount of people who've flip the script like that and here's what every good salesperson knows it goes way beyond the pop psychology nlp bullshit okay it's who's asking the right questions who's actively listening actively listening exactly and serving needs because the only way to access people is through their concerns absolutely all right so i got to go to another point you ready yep i love that one by the way R serving versus representing that's a core foundational principle and by the way and one other added dimension to this is this um, the, the real estate industry is obsessed with how it's different. How, how many times do you hear the word differentiation in our industry? Every day. We're not equally devoted to how the consumer has to be different. Their home has to be different. And that's a tragedy because that's really where the value is, is if you can let people know 
that you're focused on what makes their home different versus trying to defend what you're different, how you're different. Right. It goes from you're not presenting, yeah. you're collaborating. We exactly. need to be collaborating with our clients. Yeah. We're a team. We're a partnership. Exactly. It's not just me dancing for you the whole time. Why am exactly. I different? Why am I different? So I love this term. You got all the right terms that, that kind of make you laugh and you realize, hey, this isn't a joke. This is a real deal. Why do we need to involve from search engine optimization, SEO, for those in the audience, evolve from search engine optimization to seek engine optimization? Well, first of all, I respectfully caution you, Andrew, not to ever minimize any of these concepts to just their words. Okay. Because again, language is the clothing of ideas. There's years of thoughts and strategic thought that led to the words, okay? And in terms of search engine optimization, you can imagine as the former CEO of Realtor.com, that was a concept that was continually in my lexicon and within my strategic purview. But here's the challenge right now. There's last year alone in 2021, there were 40, you can Google this, there were $40 billion spent on social media. There's 1.7 billion websites. There's 7.8 billion residents on the planet. Billions of dollars are literally being invested to make sure that consumers will not find you. Because they're being intercepted by larger scale companies. So you have to pay a referral or what I referred to in my video, say no to real estate tariffs, a tariff. So, so that's a lot to do with search engine optimization. And I used to have search engine companies come visit me when I was CEO of Realtor.com and they'd say, Mr. Dalton, we'd like to talk about search engine optimization strategies with you. So the first thing I'd always do is I'd bring them to my laptop. I said, well, let's search for you. <laughs> let's see where your company comes up. Your company doesn't even come up on the first page when I say SEO companies. Why would I ever listen to you when you can't even have your own company come up because it's very difficult to come up first other than in paid results because you're competing with thousands of algorithmic scientists at Google. And so because of that, no one can dominate what I, what is called search engine optimization, but you can dominate and seek engine optimization. So seek engine is using technologies, for example, like chalk digital and others, emails, direct mail, even social media platforms to be more proactive because social media and search engine has become almost like the modern day version of what used to be called floor time, right? where people are waiting for business to come to them. So that could be a separate podcast for an hour someday of all the different ways that somebody can use technology to seek business as opposed to assuming that people are going to go to your website. Now, people will go to your website because they get to know you to validate, almost like a business card. But for example, when I was, again, with Realtor.com, I used to visit large brokers, and they were very proud of their website. Right. I say, in fact, you don't realize how great your website is. Do you realize that according to the rankings um, that your, your website is ranked at 10,542nd? Isn't that great? Your website is at 10,000? <laughs> and that's one of the top real estate brokerage websites. Now, our website, we're at 47, okay? So maybe you'd like to have us take some traffic and send them to over to you. But the point is that no one's going to win the website. No one's going to win the 
search engine optimization game, Andrew, and no one's going to learn the dominate in search engine optimization, but you can dominate Seek Engine because it's identifiable where homes live. I want to spend some time on this because look, you need to list to last, which is a stupid word yeah. that you taught me. Now we need to go from listing presentations to customized marketing proposals. So take it from the top. Every time I get a chance to do one of my little gigs uh, locally, I like to say, why are we calling them listing presentations? I do my best Alan Dalton uh, ripoff because I just believe in it so much. So, so take it away with that. Well, Andrew, first of all, there's nothing more important in life than confidence. I know as a basketball player that I always had confidence when I shot. And when I shot uh, foul free throws, for example, even if it was the first two free throws of the game, I would always tell myself 37, 38, as if that was my 38th in a row. So I was always, it was, and when I wasn't confident, recently I went skiing and I was no longer confident and I fell twice and I banged my head. I split open my ski helmet in front of my grandkids who were laughing. They didn't even think if I might be hurt or not because I don't have the confidence anymore that I used to have. Yeah. How would it change a realtor's life if they were so confident that they thought it would be almost impossible for somebody not to say yes on a marketing presentation? They'd invest more in their careers. They'd do more social media. They might even knock on doors. They'd approach expires if we get more expired listing opportunities. I don't think somebody can be supremely confident with the way the industry has taught them to think. In the 1800s, when a homeowner wanted to sell their home, they used to go to the general store in their horse and buggy, Andrew, and there'd be a sign that said, list your home for sale. So the homeowner was the de facto listing agent. 150 years from now, what do you still think we call the person who represents the home seller? That would be the listing agent. The listing agent, okay. But I think realtors do a lot more than just list the home. Do you agree with that? Yeah, of course. So Confucius said all wisdom begins by properly naming things. Shakespeare said in Hamlet, suit the action to the words and the words to the action. Why are we the only profession that's putting down its value like this? Why are we stepping on our own ear holes? Why are we reducing our significance? One of the reasons why for years we have about 25% of the industry still using the word relator because you don't hear people say, hi, I'm a docator or I'm a engineer. Why do we have so many in the industry saying I'm a realtor? Because the most important thing that a realtor does historically is represent a homeowner, and they don't even say I'm the marketing agent. Even the buyer agent suggests representational value. But because we're still plagued with this underserved definition, which has been dragged for 200 years, that shows no value to the consumer. A lot of realtors say, I don't think the consumer really appreciates all that. How could they? You're, you're the blame. You're calling yourself a listing agent. And because you call yourself a listing agent or the other agent a listing agent, that leads to the greatest sin of all, listing presentations. And it's not just semantics. Every single consumer would rather a marketing proposal. No one's ever called an agent and say, can somebody come over and make a listing presentation? We want to have the kids up too so they can hear this. No, they want marketing proposals, but it's not just semantics. A listing presentation is about the agent. A marketing proposal is about the home. A listing presentation is performative. 
I want to help you get the best price in the shortest period of time with the least. That's performative. A marketing proposal is collaborative. A listing presentation is seeks to educate. A marketing proposal is to activate. But then it's got to be a customized marketing proposal. When somebody is that confident, then their whole mindset changes. They no longer, and some coaches still teach us, you're going on an interview. You're not going on an interview. Something like 92% of everybody that goes over on an interview in their life doesn't get hired. Because if you think you're going there to be interviewed, Andrew, where do you think you're going to put the spotlight on? Yourself. So agents end up thinking that they're selling themselves, but they're defending themselves. The only people that, in my research, and I've researched all industries, the only people in my research that spend as much time trying to defend themselves, sadly, are people in prison seeking parole. And that's what they do. <laughs> they, they bring their testimonials. They speak about themselves. It's all about their worthiness as opposed to how you're going to market the home. It's a marketing proposal. And it's not just semantics. It's brilliant. I've completely changed my language pattern. I've completely changed the way we do our marketing proposals and how we collaborate with our homeowners. And we've got a pretty good track record. I mean, at any, any given time, we might have 50, 60, 70 listings and a bunch more coming. That's to your credit. So, so that's just, I mean, that's my life. Uh, exactly, that's exactly. What, and that's what I've been trained is, hey, if you want to last in this business, you have to represent sellers. Because I can't Absolutely. represent 100 buyers. Because I'd be exactly. driving around. You know how expensive gas is, by the way? Um, it's just, it's not realistic. But I can represent a lot of sellers. Um, so that's great. So we covered that. We talked about evolving from listing agents to marketing executives. I think we got that one. Um, and this is another, again, these are going to be future topics we dive into at a high level with, with workbooks, with training, with resources, with coaches, with guests from throughout the global network who are beyond qualified to speak on this topic. But since you created it, that's why you're number one. Here we go. This goes right in. Talking about marketing versus listing, we need to evolve from staging to merchandising. Okay, staging, Andrew, is a transactional word, but it collides with research because the average homeowner lives in a home now from 10 to 12 years. And 95% of homeowners in research suggest that I did the research for my move and prove or relocate content. 95% of homeowners indicate that they're intending to do a home improvement. Home improvement is not about staging. Home improvement is about merchandising, adding a new kitchen, putting in a new kitchen rather, adding a new bedroom, raising the height of the ceilings, transforming the landscaping, putting in a swimming pool, doing solar panels. These have nothing to do with staging, but words leave the thoughts, actions, behavior, character, and your destiny. So when we talk later about what to say when somebody says, how's the market, mm -hmm. I'm going to revisit the profound importance between only championing the word staging and not ever using the word merchandising equally, if not more so. Yeah, that's a big one too. And it all comes back to the fact of being a forever agent where what, what we're trying to do is we're trying to serve our clients, not just when they're transacting real estate. And we're going to talk about that too. If you want forever clients, you have to serve them not just when they're transacting real estate. And this lets you get upstream, upstream top of funnel, macro level merchandising versus staging. Staging comes in at the very end. Hey, let us throw a couple couches in here. Uh, we don't like your furniture. Let's get this thing sold them out. Right. Well, there's a way to do it better. Exactly. The, the forever way. So we're going to keep going. Staging 
to merchandising, well, merchandising would be superior. We need to go from social media to social media marketing. I think I know what you mean on this, but I think it's deeper than, than what the words let on. What do you mean by that? Well, like, like most of these topics within what you've described as an anthology uh, require more attention, but let me just give a cursory overview of what that distinction represents. Because a lot of realtors, a lot of the general public, I think, has never made the distinction between terms. In the same way that most people think the internet and the web is the same thing. They're not. The internet preceded the web by 20 or 25 years. But that's probably more of a distinction without a difference. It really is because they become one and the same. Right. Social media, social networking, and social media marketing are not one and the same. Social networking is about making and sustaining friendships. Social media is about bringing content to these platforms. Social media marketing is monetizing these friendships and content. And there's a lot of research on precisely how to do that. But if an agent goes through their entire life just thinking they're doing social media, they may be less likely to do social media marketing. Now, that said, if somebody's not doing robust social networking, getting likes, having friendships, they're probably not going to be very successful. So, too, somebody could do robust content. I could hire the, the editorial writer on real estate for the New York Times. They may never have a transaction. Great content, no friendships. Need no both. networking. But then social media marketing is monetizing it. So if I'm doing content, for example, that's, that says um, the, the impact of um, climate change 10 years from now, that may not be as monetizable as doing content, how to appeal your property taxes, how to get your home ready to selling, how to go from uh, how to move up effectively, how to move with children, how to move with pets. This is, this, these are more relevant in terms of getting people to do transactions with you, as well as creating loyalty. So I think that all I'm saying is, all we can say right for now is that people have to be more thoughtful and challenge themselves. Is what I'm doing, just like is what I'm doing personal promotion or is it marketing? Is it advertising or marketing? Is this, am I doing social networking or social media marketing? Be otherwise, all of these universities and all these corporations that spend billions of dollars in these distinctions are wrong, and we're right. I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I knew it was much deeper because you don't take your thoughts lightly. When you put that down, I'm thinking, well, what does he mean by that? Because that sounds so simple. You got social media or social media marketing? Well, to add another <clears throat> dimension to that, Alan, it's like I don't do social media that way. I mean, I post pictures of my kids here and there, but what I'm really doing is social media marketing. I do things on purpose. I exactly. Because, look, We'll call it what it is. I'm trying to monetize this stuff. I want people to know that they're better off with me when it comes time to buy and sell a home. But the shift I'm making, and I want everyone at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services to know this because you're going to see it. You're going to witness it. This is the first episode of the podcast. I'm going to start going macro. I'm going to start going the forever route. I'm telling you, that's going to feed me and my family and my team for, for ever, forever. Amen. Instead of just trying to chase deals. So I've been chasing deals for 12 years. Look, it worked. I'm kind of over it. I'd rather do it forever. So social media marketing versus just social media. Love it. Here's a big one. We need to go from business planning to strategic thinking. Obviously, I'm not saying that anyone should ever forego business planning because it's instrumental uh, to success. I think Dwight Eisenhower once said um, Something like it's, it's reckless to ever go into battle without a strategic plan, but when you get into battle, they're worthless. Sure. 
But that's not to say business planning is extremely important. And the people who do serious business planning do much better in this industry. But a lot of business planning is done without strategic thinking and research. For example, a lot of business plans are glorified goal-setting uh, manifestos. A strategic thinking, for example, would be this. What is my addressable marketplace? How many homes? Here's my mobility profile analysis. This triggers knowledge in terms of how frequently people are moving. Which neighborhoods are they moving more frequently? What are the unmet needs of the marketplace? What are the market segments? What percentage of people are downsizing, moving up? What percentage is luxury homes? What percentage is first-time buyers? If all of this strategic, if all of this research, then a business plan is conducted without adequate research. Moreover, what, is, what skills are required, what content is required for me to approach downsizers? People moving up, people relocating, diverse markets. And Christy Budnick has done a phenomenal job, as has Wendy, providing all of these resources, as has Rosalie Warner and Bob Watson, creating all of these, all of this different content and specialized approaches for these different marketplaces. But if somebody in the network is not aware of the range and the reach and the influence of these resources, they may have a coach from outside the brand that would just say, yeah, you've got to put together your business plan, but they may not walk them through these predicates. The predicates are strategic thinking and strategic research that then inform the business plan. Can you imagine how value, valuable, how invaluable, to use one of Christie's yeah. famous terms, it would be to have someone like Alan help you go through the strategic thinking process before putting your business plan together? I wish I had it. I'm out here creating all kinds of videos, doing all this crazy micro stuff. And by God, if all I, we predominantly serve first-time homebuyers in downtown Baltimore. We were hanging out the last couple of days. Can you imagine the type of marketing that we could make addressing their concerns with a, just a little bit of strategic thinking instead of just blasting it out? Like well, off let, the top, what should, what should I be doing? Well, let me tell you what I did. First of all, because the industry is transactional, we obsess over the terminology first-time buyers. But essentially, there's no such thing as a first-time buyer. For the most part, they're still in the category of renters. So I created the Renter, the Rent to Buy Assistance Program. The Rent to Buy Assistance Program, we had brochures and information, and then we would meet with homeowners and say to homeowners, what are you willing to do to assist a first-time buyer, a renter to become a first-time buyer? Will you pay down a point? Will you pay three months out of the lease? Then I had my telemarketing division contact all of the rental buildings. Then I, get, then I get developments listed because I go to the developer and say, here's what we're going to do. Here's the strategy. These three other buildings along the waterfront, they're all rental buildings. Let's say your, your, your community is Riva Point or Newport, which I listed. It was 10,000 condominiums. I want to have my telemarketers, and we're going to do direct mail to everybody that's renting and tell them that the entire building has been pre-qualified to move up into this condominium building and that we had all of the information, all of these things that they would receive because now you're giving assistance. And then we went to home sellers when the market tanked. You've got to also have this market specific. When there was Stacy's, nothing was happening. Then we went to home sellers and said, you know something, we have a rent to buy. We'd ask this question, folks, 
There's all sorts of, of buyers. There's people that are moving up, downsizing, empty nesters, and people that are going from rented to buying. Which category of buyers do you believe is the most likely candidate for your $200,000 ranch home? Well, probably a first-time buyer. Okay, great. That's why we've created the Rent to Buy Assistance Program. And all you have to do is that you'd have to agree, would you be willing to pay a point? Now, we'll make this up in other ways. Would you be willing to pay them three months out of their lease? Will you do this? Will you do that? Okay. Will you pay for their moving? And see, now what we're doing is that we're solutionists. We're not just identifying that this is a good thing for somebody to do. We're providing solutions. That's why I created the move-up system. Because I saw everybody else was just saying it's a great move-up market, but they didn't have a move-up program. They didn't have a downsizing program. All of this content that Wendy and I have created will never see the light of day sufficiently when people are still immersed at the micro level talking about tie-downs and, you know, wouldn't you, couldn't you, shouldn't you, didn't you? Look, you know, see, that's the problem. Well, so that's the difference between strategic thinking and business planning. And all I'm thinking is, wow, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Like you're talking about, and you said it before, your only access to consumers is through their concerns. Your address of, this is all socio, uh, sociological macro type issues. And right now, the biggest thing people go, have going on is interest rates. I said it on the mastermind call that I was fortunate enough to host with Bob Watson last week. I said, look, you can pay down the rate. If the concern's the rate, why don't you just negotiate the closing cost instead of taking the closing cost, the 12K, buy down the rate, and bang, we're back at 3%. No exactly. Problem. But so convert to, that into a program. You're going to help me do it. I will. And you know what the big opportunity here is for all the forever agents? Who creates all the inventory, Alan? Who creates the inventory in the marketplace? Build, new, new home builders. Yeah, the builders. You yeah. don't think if you sat down at a B2B level yeah. with one of these big nationals, I've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of the nationals. The regional players are even easier and the smaller builders, they love it even more. So you can't miss and say, I'm going to create an incentive toolkit where we're going to go after the macro market. We're going to desegment to, uh, you know, use some desegmentation techniques and strategically attack this marketplace. They're going to look at you like you have four eyes because they've never heard a real estate agent say it. Exactly. And it's not hard to stand out in this market if you use what the brand has created for us. Alan's already been doing this for decades and decades, and it worked, and it worked. You don't just end up as the CEO of Realtor.com because your ideas suck. You don't end up building 60 offices and 2,000 agents, and somebody had to have it and paid you for it if your ideas didn't work. You know, the other thing, Andrew, in terms of cultivating builders, I used to take out full-page ads in the seventh largest newspaper in the country in the real estate section that would say, our company salutes New Jersey's builders. Without the builders... We would not have an industry and you would not have a home. Next time you see a builder, thank them for their service, right? So it was creating all, all the goodwill. But that's, an, that's another podcast. I could go on for hours in terms of how to secure developments. Going from personal videos to community videos. Now, I like the attention. I do a lot of personal videos. I've tried to do some community videos, but I uh, haven't done them right. Well, it goes back to um, representing versus serving. Right. Let's start off with the mindset. I created, like I said, Town Advisor. I personally wrote about 60 community videos. I slaved over every word. But I used to ask um, audiences of, of real estate agents across the country this question. What do you think is more important when you do a community video? Do you think it's the images or the words? They always said the images. So then I would show them videos with just the images, and they were all the most beautiful images. They were all unimpressed. That's just waves. I've seen waves before. 
You could show Waikiki Beach, it wouldn't make it. I've seen waves. I've seen a Starbucks. Oh, there's a train station. There's a f high school facade. There's a ball field. There's a mountain. There's people skiing. It's meaningless. Just like a movie, other than the one that won the Oscar, unless it has words, it's, it means nothing. Then I showed them. Then I had them listen to the videos without the images. I want to move there. Now, I was driving down the New Jersey Parkway, and I'm from Boston originally, but I lived in New Jersey for 20 years, then California for 20 years. Now I live in Connecticut. But I was driving down the Parkway, Andrew, and I saw a picture of Albert Einstein. And it occurred to me the two most notable geniuses in America, Albert Einstein and Thomas Edison, both voluntarily moved to New Jersey. So I created a video, a move to New Jersey, a genius decision. Because every video I do is a story. It's got to have a title. It has to have a theme. And then you've got to back up the theme. And then I, then I countervailed all the negative perceptions. A lot of people didn't realize that New Jersey was number one in mental health. That's not what they would think. It was, had the number one rated golf course in the world, Pine Valley. It, it was number two in this, number three in this, number one in drinking water, and so forth and so on, because the only perception they had was of the TV caricatures of the Sopranos and the like. So you could Google, if somebody wants to Google New Jersey genius decision, you'll see what that means. But, then, but I mostly do towns. Like, for example, I did a video for one of my former clients uh, in Connecticut in the town I live in, Fairfield. Now, when I write that, I write it like this. Fairfield, Connecticut, romantically and recreationally situated adjacent to the ecologically flourishing Long Island Sound. Now, no homeowner is ever going to say, we live in Fairfield. We're, we're romantically and recreationally situated adjacent to the ecologically flourishing Sound. But if you're going to presume, presume rather, to be a storyteller for that town, then you've got to have the eloquence that matches lighthouses, yachts going by. It can't be, hi, I'm Bob at the bakery with Susan. Susan, tell us about your bakery because no one's going to move from New Jersey versus Connecticut or Connecticut versus Long Island because somebody has better pizza. So these are very comprehensive, yet seven to 10 minutes. Now, I'm not going to watch anybody's video for more than 30 seconds if I'm not interested. Right. But if somebody has somebody do a wedding video, they're not going to do it for 90 seconds because you can't tell the story. So this is not for social media. These videos are not for social media. These videos to get in the hands of 5,000 homeowners. And when a homeowner says, Alan, who's going to see this? Well, no one's going to, this isn't going to be the reason why people find out about the town. That's range and reach. This is going to influence people that come through the funnel but now this is the micro, but it's the macro because everybody in town and every person who shows an interest in your home is going to see this. And then they can't even imagine having somebody market their home without attaching this world class. They literally, I'm not hyperbolic in anything I ever say. I'm intense, but not hyperbolic. They literally have tears in their eyes when they see the way their town is being described. That's the way to approach community videos. I don't think I have anything to add on that. Okay. Um, other than the fact that I get credit for doing a lot of videos. I was on Bomb Bombs, Video Influencer Nationwide, and we pride ourselves on videos. And um, I'm proud of what we've done. It, it's just, it's refreshing and exciting to see there's so much we can do better. And what's even more exciting is knowing that you're going to help me do it and you're going to help the brand do it. And it's all in the materials and it's going to be forthcoming. And it's all part of the forever agent movement. Each one of these topics 
are the the cartilage that's going to hold the forever agent movement together. And I can't stress enough, this is a movement. So if you like what you're hearing, stick around. Because if you do these things, you can't help but succeed in this business. All right, ready? How do we go from being disrupted to being the disruptor? That's speaking my language. I want to disrupt others. I don't want to be disrupted. <clears throat> well, first of all, we have to understand what we mean by disruption in real estate. Many years ago, people used to talk about disintermediation, which meant the elimination of the middle person. Right. That didn't happen. What happened instead was disruption, but it was only buying side disruption because now something like 95% of all excuse me, consumers begin their search online. Right. We have withstood that. We have withstood that for a few reasons because the, even, see, when I was CEORealtor.com, 98% of the people who came to our site clicked on find a home and only one or 2% clicked on find a realtor and they were realtors. But that, but that wasn't onerous for this reason, Andrew, because the buyer doesn't determine the fee that could change, but for historically they haven't listings. Buyers don't generate listings as much as listings generate buyers, right? Buying side disruption and the internet also allowed listing real estate teams to form because now team leaders could better control the destiny of leads. And so, and, and create teams. And also it allowed brokerages to reduce their classified advertising spend. In fact, I created a campaign, homes for sale, for sale shouldn't be kept classified to, to convince home sellers that we shouldn't be doing classified. So buying side disruption was not onerous. The only place where third party portals, and as you've heard me say, cyberspace, cop, cyberspace carpet beggars can now migrate to further monetize investments online is to disrupt the listing side. They're going after the listing side rainmakers. And they're going to do that, even though all fees are negotiable, through discounts, rebates, and reviews. So they're coming after me. They're coming after you in a big way. So therefore, what you have to do is disrupt them by creating relationships. Because, for example, if somebody's a family doctor, we can get all the wisdom in the world from my friend and former colleague who founded WebMD, Mike Long, they can go to WebMD and get democratized medical advice, and they'll get more medical advice than they'll get from any doctor, but that's not going to preempt the doctor relationship. No. So what we have to do is that we have to fortify, codify, and memorialize relationships through lifestyle planning and other things that we'll get to in order to preemptively inoculate the hundreds of millions of dollars that are going to be invested along with prop tech blockchain to basically disrupt the value of a realtor and eviscerate the importance of listing side rainmakers. The, the, the fact that you're so confident that we can be the disruptor instead of the disrupted is refreshing to me. And you don't hear it's, it's all doom and gloom. And we talked about this a little bit in the past, not to go too far off topic, yeah. but Berkshire Hathaway home services, you even said, this brand, if I had this brand back in the day, if, if someone knows how to leverage our brand, it's unlike any other. And I said, well, please tell me. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm still new here. I've been here for less than two years. And we talked a lot about that. I want to know, if I'm not going to be disrupted, what types of things can I do to leverage our brand on top of all the things you just said, creating the lifestyle planning guides, a lot of these other uh, tactics and strategies. What can I do with the brand? With Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, it's going to create that moat that Warren Buffett talks about. Well, it starts with macro messaging. 
I've given you a few suggestions. I think you're beginning to incorporate one. And, right. and this is not, this is something for you as a team. This is not official. Anything official comes from Wendy under Christie's supervision. But I have got you already to, to, to agree to start advertising that your, your team and the brand is the leader in trust and innovation. Yes. Trust, trust is under attack in real estate. I first heard that said by a good friend of mine, Scott Ficino, up in Westchester County. There's, there's a trust crisis. In 1958, something like 58, 60% of consumers trusted institutions. Today, it's under 20%. And here we are, our brand that can be validated through metrics the parent company, Berkshire Hathaway, which has the halo effect that influences our brand, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, is one of the five or six most trusted brands in the world. Right. Yet I don't see many teams or agents or even brokerages in their missions, in their advertising to the public, ever espousing the critical, vital importance of trust. So You're saying the real estate leader, because not everyone knows we're real estate. The real estate leader in trust, we can validate that. None of these other upstarts can can speak to that. This is golden. And then innovation, because no one's ever going to be number one in technology. Technology is an arms race. But innovation encompasses both technology and rent-to-buy assistance program, downsizing with distinction. These are innovations, all the stuff that we're doing with Wendy with the luxury, the military. So we're very innovative, and so that encompasses. So that's one thing. The other thing I've made a suggestion is this, at the macro level. Our brand, is our brand, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, is unlike any other brand because some brands are upscale and some brands are pedestrian and some brands are more of the socioeconomic, they're, they're serving more socioeconomic markets, okay? Mm-hmm. In other words, you're not going to see Sotheby's as prominent in a blue-collar neighborhood like I grew up in as you'll see them in upscale communities. Sure. Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, because it's an, as Christy Budnick says, because it's an aspirational brand, I'm saying that Berkshire Hathaway is a for-everyone brand. And so, but one thing we can do is that, see, our brand not only describes the home, there's other upscale properties that, that basically define the home. We're the only brand that both defines the home and the professional. That's why that comports with real estate financial planning. It comports with being a forever agent. If somebody, I own the URL, Real Estate Trusted Advisor. If somebody wants to say they're a real estate trusted advisor, that's more in alignment with the brand promise and the perception of the brand than any other brand. But then if you're going to, we can cover one of these topics right now, in terms of the messaging, you've got to make sure that you're using messaging that relates to real estate needs. For example, I see a lot of companies that go to advertising agencies and they'll come up with slogans that could be used for any product. But because most of advertising is selling products, we're basically positioning professional services, and a competitive landscape. And we've got to tie it to real estate. So when you see any slogan, ask yourself this question. Could that slogan work for other fields? If it does, you don't want it. Is that a slogan that they could also use in financial services? Could they use that slogan at a theme park? 
Could they use that slogan at a university? If the answer is yes, you don't want to use it because you've got to narrow it to our discipline. So the one I recommend for a lot of agents, teams, and companies is this. And for you, Andrew, marketing Maryland real estate at the highest level. I'm trademarking that, by the way. That's for me. Maryland, marketing Maryland real estate at the highest level. Now, why is that so important? Because first of all, we can't say we sell homes at the highest level because that would disenfranchise buyers. We can't operate like other retailers. When the market goes down with home values, we can't put signs across our offices that say prices slash 30%. That's what drives the retail world because we would disenfranchise our home sellers. So we can't say we sell homes for more money. So we have to euphemistically couch it in a different way. Marketing, real estate at the highest level. So that's a message to home sellers that you're looking to get them more for their money, home for their money, but money for their home. And it also suggests to buyers that you provide more information, more access, more transparency. See, that's a real estate-specific message. And for you, it would be alliterative. Marketing Maryland is like Donald Duck, Mickey Mouse, Final Four, Sweet 16. So you've got alliteration working for you. But then that sets up a segue. Then all, everybody in your team can say to the home seller, may I share with you why our slogan is Marketing Maryland at the highest level? Then all the things that you do, lifestyle stories, virtual tours, special open house, whatever you do, that's part of it. So now there's a transition because anytime you look at a slogan, ask yourself this question. Is that slogan, would that slogan be the thing that I'd start with? Because no one has enough money to reach the public on any slogan for the most part. To have a Super Bowl ad for 30 minutes is $6.5 million dollars. So most of the people we compete against aren't on TV every night. They're not spending millions of dollars because it, it's not effective. It's not efficient. So therefore, what we have to do, and you have to do, is you have to deputize, Andrew, everybody on your team with a parenthetical slogan from your brand with your spirit of intent, and then you've got to backfill how you do it. Here's how we market Maryland at the highest level. That's how you leverage the brand. Thank you for sharing that because it's all about leveraging our national brand. Sure Group in Maryland is never going to be as big as Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. It's just not. So we need to leverage that from past clients to forever clients and tie it in from databases to client bases. This is big. Pay attention to this one. Alan, take it away. Well, <clears throat> Gino Blafari was the first to talk about the forever brand because he saw one of his bosses, Mr. Warren Buffett, mentioned the concept of being a forever Brand. And so Gino brought that to the global network. Then Christy, our CEO, is doing a fantastic job in leadership. She came in and said, we're going to stress more or just as much on how our agents are forever agents. And so if we're going to have people be forever agents, it's very tough for them to sustain that relationship if they're not involved with consumers on forever planning. Because otherwise we're going to fall into the trap that the industry has for the last 60 years by using this dreaded term, past clients. Andrew, think about it. How many times have you heard colleagues, even some of the most sophisticated colleagues on our great rethink console, how many times have you heard people use the words, my past clients? Every day. It's kind of like listing presentations. You can't avoid it in this you, industry. You, you can't avoid it. Right. And the reason for that is because people think that a client only exists parenthetically, where they're, when they're involved in the transaction. Right. Before the transaction, they're a prospect. 
They're in somebody's geographical farm. They're in their database. And then after they've sold or bought a home, they now become a past client. I think here in 2022, it's long overdue that we finally emancipate consumers from being unwitting residents in our geographical farms, our friends on Facebook, and our residences of our database, and our past clients and your past clients to becoming forever clients. And so the whole idea of the forever agent is to have forever clients. I don't believe you can have a forever client with a database uh, perspective. I think databases are for the service sector. They're for the DMV, okay? They're for the IRS. Doctors and lawyers and financial planners, that cadre of professionals that we romantically like to align ourselves with, they live in the world of client bases. And this isn't just semantics. They treat people differently. People don't sign a 30-year agreement with a doctor, but they're in a client base. They feel they're a client. They've got a family doctor. So that's why we've created Bob Watson and myself, Wendy Duran and myself and Bob under Christie's leadership with people like you, George Patsios, Mark Watton up in Toronto, um, you know, Ray Mesa, uh, Kevin again, um, some of the leaders of, of, the, of the brand. We've put together the Forever Agent Marketing System Pledge um, implementation guide, forever agent workbook, forever agent coaching. And part of that are the 10 things that you can do to upgrade your database to your client base. You see, Andrew, I could walk around Maryland in two months from now with the largest database anyone's ever had in real estate. I could buy the voter registration rolls for the Republican and Democratic Party. And I could walk through the downtown Baltimore as proud as a peacock. But in a month or two, I'm going to be a feather duster because it has no value. That's why doctors can sell their practices. But a lot of top agents have been in this business for 20 or 30 years, and then they retire. There's very little value in what they can sell to somebody because they haven't memorialized these transactions into a sustainable book of business where people are treated like a client. And that begins with all the language, and we'll get to that later. So this is a really important concept, converting your database to a client base. Everyone, uh, I've, I've heard you speak many times, anytime this comes up, everybody wants this. If your hand doesn't go up on this, maybe you're not paying attention because it, it's irrefutable. It's just logical, rational. It makes total sense. Of course, I want a client base, just like these, these other professions, that cadre of professions exactly. you mentioned. And I got to give a shout out to some other people in the network because guys like Mark Stark, who I've heard this guy talk one or two times and he just blew me away, kind of like you do. He talks about this because he's one of the people who's kind of pioneered helping agents acquire exactly. other agents' books of businesses. Exactly. And when he goes on uh, and explains his process, he has his way of converting a database to a client base and getting ready for an exit. Because if you're going to prepare your client base for an exit, it makes you better today. You're not doing it because you want to monetize in the future. It's going to make you better now because you're converting a database to a client base. I'm going to get Can you help me get him on the podcast to go over that? Absolutely. And Andrew, when you mentioned Mark Stock, he's an icon in the industry. One of the handful, if there's a Mount Rushmore of successful brokers, Mark is, is up there. We're blessed within the brand to have the talented executives. Oh, my gosh. Um, Jimmy Burgess, Vince Lacey. Um, you, you go right down the line. Uh, we have Diane Glass in Chicago, Martha Mosier. We've got... Candace Adams, we have legendary operators 
leaders and CEOs throughout the brand. And these geniuses of real estate, I believe, have to even be tapped into much more for their guidance and direction. And yeah. by the way, it all begins with our chairman, Gino Blafari, real estate's GOAT. Number one in his marketplace of 2 million people for many years, built the number one C21 company in the world. I think eight or nine of the top 11 offices worldwide he ran. Then he starts one of the top seven largest brokerages in the world. Then he goes on to transform Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, that is. And then now he's the CEO of Home Service America. And he's so humble and his attention to accountability, partially through the four disciplines of execution, but so much beyond that, have transformed more brokerages and more realtor careers than anybody I've seen within organized real estate. What I, never, what I didn't understand until I was here is how, how does this brokerage work? Because all these other brands have like their disciple that everyone needs to follow and they get all this credit. Now, Gino is always one of the top five most influential people on the planet yeah. when it comes to real estate, yeah. always. Always, And he'll probably always. be number one next year. Always. I mean. Well, he is in my book, but. Well, he should be number one. Yeah. But at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, there's these conglomerates of these brokerages, and they are run by the most sophisticated, the most strategic operators this business has ever seen. Each one of these could be a national brand, but they've chosen to affiliate with Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. And you just named a bunch of them. I got to give a special shout out to Jimmy Burgess and Vince Lisi because they've been helping me on the Rethink Council. You were there in Florida yep, yeah, at amen. Christie's house. These guys don't have to be doing this. They're leading some of the most successful companies, total domination in their market, and they're pouring back in. So if you're watching this and your brand doesn't offer things like this, look, Berkshire Hathaway probably could do a better job of putting out all this amazing stuff that they do all the time. We save it for the internal network. We have 55,000 agents. We got to make sure they hear it first. But if people only knew the level of sophistication behind the people operating at the highest level in this business, I think they'd be blown away. Well, you know, These Andrew, and away. let's also give a shout out to George Patio. Okay. George Patio was very successful entrepreneur, owned multiple McDonald's franchises, came into the real estate business, and has transformed the Massachusetts market with Commonwealth Berkshire Hathaway Home Services Commonwealth up there in the Commonwealth. Again, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services Commonwealth and Robert Paul, uh, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services down Cape Cod. No broker has been anywhere near as instrumental in helping us further define and package the Forever Agent marketing platform than George. Now, Candace Adams was the most instrumental because she kicked off this entire movement at her company. But then George and his team, after that, worked arduously over several weeks making sure that the forever agent concept was popularized and then it was first particularized and then popularized because we did a lot of research, Andrew, and a lot of network members said, oh, I like that term, but I really don't know what it means. I like the term, but I don't know what's behind it. Right. And these teams, along with Bob Watson and Wendy, we've spent so much time now with this whole process. And thanks. So thank you, George. Yeah. You got to, that was one of our big topics, how to particularize something before you popularize. It's a very important thing. And look, all these leaders, they've co-signed on this type of content. They've reviewed the information, all the tactics and strategies. And that makes, I don't want to hear anyone say, oh, forever agent, that's cute. Maybe it's stupid. It's so deep. Um, so just give it the time of day because the smartest people in the industry believe in it, co-signed it, and we're rocking and rolling. So 
All right, another one of my favorites, Alan. Let's go back to the list. How do we go from lazy listing language to distinctive dialogues? <clears throat> well, Andrew, what's, what's interesting is that not only is the industry noted for trying to convert all personalities into four types without testing them, doing disk guessing versus disk testing, seemingly we've also converted every home in North America into five descriptions or six. Every home, according to the way we seem to talk as an industry, is either lovely, beautiful, charming, gracious, spacious, or elegant. And isn't it amazing that everybody's living in the same home? Isn't it amazing that everybody has a nice property? It's either a park-like setting or professionally landscaped. So if a, if a person from Domino's Pizza delivered pizza at my home at the halftime of a Super Bowl game, and they saw my home, they may say, you've got a beautiful home. But the person from the Super Bowl isn't expecting a fifty or sixty or hundred thousand dollar fee for their incredible narration and their incredible distinctive dialogue abilities. So most agents, I may not be right, but I'm convinced, actually spend more thinking about how they would write an ad about the home versus how they extemporaneously describe their home back to the homeowner during a marketing presentation. So what I did. It's in marketing research, I think, of the Learning Center, but if not, we can find out if somebody emails you. I created Dalton's Distinctive Dialogue. Oh, it's in there. Yeah, because I did research on all of the better ways, because I remember saying years ago, to praise moderately is a sign of mediocrity. So we have a lot of people that are mediocre in real estate in terms of narrating homes face-to-face -face with homeowners. And so they've got to take this subject more seriously, and that's why we've created Dalton's Distinctive Dialogue as part of Bob Watson's Forever Age and Coaching Platform. Hey, do you remember the, the day we met? We're in Louisville. You standing room only. You had everyone waiting in line to talk to you. I was one of them, but I knew it wasn't my opportunity because I was just lost in the sea of sameness. But then I got you in the Uber, and I said, look, I, I started repeating all your lines back to you. Oh, yeah. I said, and here's what I would say. <laughs> so I just said, I got, I got 20 seconds with this guy. I want to make sure he remembers me. And then we, and that kicked off the relationship. I can't wait to build on those distinctive dialogues. That's a fun exercise to do with your team, your broker owner, your manager, to get creative with this stuff, to go out and say unique things that's going to add differentiation to you in the marketplace. All right, we're going to keep going. So this is a big one too. How do we go from handling objections to restatement? Well, the industry has been obsessed with how to handle objections. Sure. When I first came into the business and you'd see, Realtors go to conventions, they go up and down the exhibit aisles, like with the trick-or-treating bags, the ritual going at every booth. There was either how to make a listing presentation, and there were booths, how to handle objections, how to overcome objections. Because it gave the sense as if our industry was in combat with the consumer. Everything was a battle. Even though we're the only industry that consumers approach us all the time, they only, sell, they only bring in one realtor 75% of the time, and many homes sell themselves. What is this unbelievable obsession with overcoming objections. So my point is this, okay? And because I'm a person that in research and development, I should be fired if all I do is support the status quo. Well, the status Andrew. quo is the loyalty gap. Exactly. No, the status quo is also the way we communicate and the way we approach the business, right? Right, sure. And so my advice would be this, for, for what it's worth, is that instead of trying to spend the time 
Instead of using one's limited diagnostic ability to label people and put them in boxes or NLP, if you listen very carefully to get to the real individual, okay, and really understand them, then you don't overcome their objections, you restate their concerns. So in other words, that may be say, Andrew, let me see what I understand. If I, let me see if I understand what you're saying. I think what you're saying is that you've been thinking of buying a home now for two or three years. You finally get to the point that you want to do even more for your, you and Susan, for your blessed family. But now when you're finally getting the time to buy a home, you're looking and you think this might be the wrong time because prices are dropping and interest are going up. Is that what you're saying? Now, see, what I've done is I've expressed back a highly individual concern versus a personality issue, okay? So now, because this is now a social, this is a social concern, right? And now you said, Alan, that's exactly what I'm saying. So now you have the confidence in me because I have expressed that I completely get what you're saying. I haven't started just jumping in. Well, this is the time, this is this, this is that. Because I could say what I'm going to say now, but it wouldn't be as effective if I first didn't restate. And I'll give you another example in a minute. Tenderize. Yeah, you've got to tenderize the homeowner. So I'm going to first restate it. And then I may say, you know something, Andrew? Um, if you weren't concerned about the fact that homes values might be dropping and interest rates are going up, Let's say that homes were going up and interest rates were still low. Then in your opinion, do you feel that you want to go ahead and buy this property, uh, uh, buy a home? Now, if you say yes, then I'll go. If they say no, I'm going to say, well, apparently you have some other reason. Ask what that is. Well, you know, we also think that we're, we're concerned about the economy here. We're concerned about global warming or whatever it might be. Now I'm on to another issue. But let's say you said yes, I would definitely buy if I didn't think the homes were going down and interest rates were going up. Then I may say this, you know, the fact that the homes are, are going down in value, that may be the very reason why you should buy right now, because everybody has that sense that will give you greater negotiating power. And also, why don't we see if we can buy this home that you love today at next year's price? Because let me ask you this, the home used to be on the market for 500000 and over the past four months, it's dropped to four fifty. Worst case scenario, where do you think it could drop to by next year? Alan, I think it could drop to 400. Andrew, why don't we see if we can buy it today at next year's price? You might be able to buy this home today for less than you buy it a year from now, even if the price has dropped 20% based on the circumstances of the homeowner. See, but none of that makes sense until I first restate. Because if I don't restate it, it looks like I'm trying to overcome an objection. If I restate it, I'm not overcoming an objection. I'm basically manifesting that I'm completely with you. I'm looking at this precisely from your prism, and now this is my reaction to it. And then another one it would be like this. For years, people, homeowners would say this. They'd want to have an open listing. Hey, Alan, look at um, What I'm going to do is I'm going to basically just, I'm going to send out information to all of the agents that I'll pay them 3% or 2% fees and negotiable. I'm going to pay them 3% if they bring a buyer. Okay, and, uh, and so, I, so I don't need anybody on the listing side. I'm just going to offer, I'm going right. to put signs of this and that, okay? And then I, would, then I would say this. Well, let me understand what you're saying, Andrew. What you're basically saying is this, that you're actually willing to pay the selling side agent and brokerage the same amount of money as if you were 
Coldwell Banker, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, Remax. Is that what you're saying? That you're actually willing to pay? They say, that's exactly right. Now, why did I do that? Because now they've got comfort. Because, they, because they're frustrated that I don't respect their strategy. Right. I don't get it. But now, so, okay, so, but let me tell you why categorically that's been so unsuccessful over the years. Then I get into all the reasons why that doesn't work statistically, logically. But if I didn't first restate it, and instead I tried to overcome the objection, well, you know what's going to happen. Agents aren't going to bring a buyer. They're not going to do this. They don't do that. They're, they're accustomed to networking. They're accustomed to getting their data on the MLS. This is out of their comfort zone. It's other. If I went to all of those overcoming the objection, it's not as successful. That's why restating, showing that you understand more even than you're empathetic, that you understand how else would they know if you understand because here's what some realtors say is a part of a script. Oh, I can, I can appreciate that. Oh, I understand. I can appreciate that without ever demonstrating that you truly understand and respect. That can only take place with restatement. Yeah, it's an important concept. It's something that people who are serious about their sales career should probably role play and practice restating things because, of course, you still have to overcome objections. But the, the power of restating before you dive into it is tenderizing. And it goes back to Stephen Covey's thing. You seek first to understand, then be understood. This is like a universal principle. Exactly. I need to show that I understand your point of view. And then, and only then, do I have the opportunity for my side of the story to be understood as well. And you do that regardless of what you think their personality type might be. Exactly. Even if they lean in, though? Even if they're, <laughs> even if they're tactile. Okay. Which I wouldn't know how I would Well, know. how do you feel about that? Yeah, so, okay, yeah. no, I got exactly. you. Right. We hit that one. So uh, that's restatement. This is, a, this is another one because we kind of created the listing word in comps. We need to go from CMAs to MMAs. Now, I've heard you sound off on comps before. Is comps even a word? Is CMA, we're saying comparable market analysis. What's MMA? Well, an MMA starts with, uh, I created an MMA at my company, a master market analysis many years ago for this reason. Even though I wasn't familiar with the wisdom of the dean of the Harvard Business School back then, but, why I, but I did it intuitively because I guess from being in basketball and drafted by the NBA, I'm very competitive. Yes. So I, I not only want to be distinctive, I want to beat the other team because I want to win. And I saw that every single real estate agent in the country was all saying the same thing. All of their brokers providing them with the same thing, something called the CMA. Right. We still even use that term today, I think. Oh, that, you uh, can't get away from it. A CMA. So, but the dean of the Harvard Business School said, everybody should ask themselves two questions. What do I do that my competition also does, but that I do better? And number two, what do I do that none of my competitors do? So I created an MMA. But it can't just be different initials. Alan, so in other words, somebody from another company, they're, they're going to go with another company. I said, well, by the way, did they do a CMA for you? Oh, yes, they did a CMA. Well, Andrew, with all due respect, a CMA is not enough in today's market. We do MMAs. Well, what's the difference? Well, a CMA will give you an estimate of fair market value. An MMA, a master market analysis, will both do that and also show you how it can enhance the value of your home, bringing in staging, stuff like that. So as simple as that was, everybody else, so we advertise it all the time. Other companies only do a CMA. We do an MMA. See, Everybody says they're different, but everybody sounds the same. That's the problem. 
That's brilliant. You know what I like to say is when I'm meeting with a, a home seller, I say, hey, I don't come in here and pretend to know exactly what your home's worth before I even got here. So I don't come in here with a CMA. You've probably had other agents come in yeah. here and tried to mark up a piece of paper and give you a price. Pricing a property is a strategic exercise, which is why when we're done here, I'm going to prepare a master marketing analysis after I've seen the home. So that's just one of the exactly. ways I've used some of your distinctive and the other, And the other thing, Andrew, is that... Um, and by the way, just so you, in other words, but we still have agents who use the word comps. Telling a homeowner, what percentage of agents do you think still actually use the word comps? 99%. Okay. Saying to a homeowner, let's take a look at the comps is like saying, let's take a look at some similar children. There's no difference. In fact, I've met homeowners that were more prideful of their homes than even their kids. They spent more time in their garden than going to their kids' soccer games. So why would I ever want to go in and commoditize what they love the most. So what do you say instead? Folks, let's take a look at properties, which buyers will be evaluating at the same time they're evaluating, evaluating your home. We don't have to insult people. We can be smarter than that in terms of that. And so, in fact, you want to caution people. Now, by the way, as we look at some of the properties that your homes, that people are going to be evaluating, and we're judging buyer behavior in today's market, please keep in mind, no homes are the same. No homes are alike. No homes are similar. That's why when an agent is working with a buyer and the buyer says, we don't like this home, do you think any agent in history has ever said, well, let's go take a look at some similar homes? No, because, because we're, being, we're being phonies in that, okay? You know, one of the things I love that you said is, I don't think many agents in this industry have made a long career out of selling things to people that they didn't already want. Without a doubt. It's kind of off topic, but you made yeah, me think of yeah. it there. Talk to us about the importance of going from pricing to these pricing strategies. Well, there's either a tactical approach or there's a strategic price. Right. The tactical approach is the one that's been provided every realtor in America because through every MLS, every realtor, I may not be right, but I'm convinced, to, to a certain degree has been encouraged to do this, to go to a home seller and say, Andrew, I went into the computer, okay, and I have some information here for you. I have some data. This column here, these are homes on the market. That would be a competition. Now, as I say this, Andrew, between just you and I and our audience, I'm being facetious and sarcastic. If I didn't point that out, somebody may think this sounds pretty good. So this column here, this, uh, these are homes on the market. That would be your competition. This column here is days on the market. This is list of sales price. This is absorption rates. Okay, These are homes that were withdrawn. And then I have some macro and micro information for you. The reason that's a horrible way to begin is because in the information age, data and information have the lowest level, knowledge and wisdom have the highest level. So you don't want to begin at the lowest level. You want to begin at the highest level. You don't want to be a data monger. You want to show your experience and knowledge. But that requires strategic thinking. And the strategic thinking emanates out of certain questions. Here are the questions. Andrew, what percentage of realtors do you think when it comes to their own personal residence have ever overpriced their own home? 95%. 95%. What percentage of those realtors have access to all of the data? 100%. 100%. What does that tell you about the data? It's worthless unless it's judiciously inserted. What percentage of, what percentage of homeowners do you think have a price in mind before you arrive? 100%. 100%. Pre-COVID, what percentage of homeowners do you think liked the day, loved the data? 100%. No, love the data. Oh. They love what you recommend. They love the price. Oh, no, they always want more. Yeah. So that's 100% don't love the data. Right. What do you think that makes the realtor? The bearer of bad news. What do you think happens to the bearer of bad news? It's called shoot the messenger. Because 
What you have to do is you have to first tenderize the home seller. And that's why we've created for the forever agents, the three level pricing strategy. It goes like this. Andrew, we provide our clients with three distinct pricing strategies. Some of our clients want to price their property based on the data. An MMA, a, a CMA, we can talk about those processes later because they want to make sure the home appraiser is out. They don't want to offend the pricing sensibilities of buyer or buyer agents. Some of our clients price it based on the less is more pricing strategy. They'll actually price it lower because they want to create competition. In some markets, even a bidding war. And then the third category, the third pricing strategy, some of our clients price their property based on what we call the retail pricing strategy. They want to put a little bit of a cushion because they think that buyers might want to negotiate. So of those three strategies, which is the most philosophically suitable for you? Now, at this point in time, homeowners are still going to say, well, what are we talking about? What's the data? But now when you get to the data, you've already manifested that you, you and they are one. You're not there as an advocate for your research because that's the bearer of bad news. Right. They've been tenderized, and then you can get into everything else that you've ever done. I have a lot more language on pricing, but we've got to move on, I'm sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. It's nice to have a classically trained CEO going over the most important dialogues for a real estate agent, which is how to land these marketing proposals in, in, in that you. home. All right. Hit this one real quick. I think you have one uh, in front of us. We need to go from marketing brochures to lifestyle stories. This is a major, major one. So this is going to be maybe a couple other podcasts. Give us the highlights of the lifestyle story, though. Well, I'm going to tell the story. This is such an important story to the industry, uh, at least for, it was for me. Years ago, before I was with Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, or HSF, or Home Service of America, my wife and I moved from California to Connecticut to be equidistant to our nine grandchildren. And we were looking for homes in a lot of different markets, but we wanted to be as equidistant as possible. And I was, um, I was the consultant for this other company, and their top agent, which I'm not going to, uh, to reference, um, out of respect for our network, um, but some know who, who she is. And if somebody calls me privately, I'm happy to tell her who she is. But um, last year, I think she made over two, two and a half million dollars. She's a, she's a rock star, and she's more sophisticated when it comes to marketing than any realtor I've ever met. And so she created this concept called Lifestyle Stories. I gave her the name Lifestyle Stories. But every one of her properties is like a 21-page story. Because most realtors today, they're still just like doing brochures. Like three just a bunch four, of pictures. Yeah, pictures. A couple stats. And it's even stuff just off the internet. They just transport it to the thing. Yeah, and just click Have their it. little agency do it or whatever. But because I trained her and her company before I came to our company... In fact, I gave her the slogan, marketing real estate at the highest level. Because she was trained, she did a collaborative marketing, customized marketing proposal based on asking people to join her to tell their lifestyle story. So she'd bring in 10 or 15 of these and say, let's take a look at all the other stories and take a look at what descriptions of kitchens do you like the best? What descriptions of family rooms do you like the best? Then it's had in there, neighbors know best. It had in their home improvements because what percentage of people bring up home improvements? They all do. What percentage of brochures list all the home improvements? They don't. So it's basically telling people, I'm just going through the motions with you. You're all excited about your home improvements. Buyers aren't even going to see that. 
okay, when they see the brochure. So it's all the home improvements. Then she had um, the, an interview with the homeowners. Now, I know some realtors do stuff like this. She does this on every property with 20 pages. And so what happened is this. Nearby points of interest. The story of the town, Fairfield. Nearby points of, and so, so the point that I'm saying is a lifestyle story, but this, this only comes from the mindset of a marketing aid, agent who's doing things at the macro level because everybody wants this. Everybody wants this. I just got to say, in the history of time, as long as people have been trying to liquidate their most valuable asset, which is typically their home, the real estate asset, every single person would want this. We're calling it a lifestyle story. And we're creating all the content inside our global network for people to do this every time. But here's the thing. The devil's in the details. You need to have a checklist, a process to go through creating a proper lifestyle story for yourself, for your brand, for your consumer. It's collaborative and it works. And if people aren't doing that, well, compared to the alternative, you have a brochure with a couple stats that you put in a cheap plastic thing, if you even do that, this is how you're going to stay in this business forever is by offering an overwhelming amount of value to the consumers. And that's how you don't get disrupted on the listing side. That's great. We have plans to do some more content on lifestyle stories, but you got to Google that in the research, uh, in the Learn Center. And Andrew, the only thing that's more impressive than that that she does, okay, is her home services directory. She doesn't call it that. Clients only. No, but she doesn't call that's uh, That's my name. She's not with us. She has another name. But for the last five years, everything we've done came, comes out of that directory. That's why she made almost, I think, $2.5 million just herself last year. But that's what gets me so excited about the movement in general. Because Look, I'm going to do it. Okay, I know that. We have, we had, you were talking with four of our staff members earlier. We're doing this stuff. But I'm trying to be something, a part of something bigger. It's just the kind of the way of life, I guess. Exactly. And I want other agents within our global network to do it with me. Because I'm always looking to win. Let's just call it, just like you're competitive, exactly. I'm competitive. Without a doubt. Um, I wasn't nearly the athlete, but look, if you're not trying to find ways to win, I don't think you're doing it right. Without this, a doubt. This is the way to win. You win by helping your clients win. Well, 100%, because it's not about me, me, No, it's me. all, exactly. So we covered that. So that's huge. Okay. Love this one. How do we go from the market determines the price? We're right. From the market determines the price to only influences the price. So the, let me phrase that better. Yeah, okay. When people say, hey, well, the market dictates the price. You know, it, it, you got to lower the price. The price dictates if the home's going to sell or not. It's all about the price. Instead of the only reason homes don't sell is not because of price. It's because of ineffective marketing. That's a Daltonism. That's one of your core concepts. And another industry thing is, well, the only reason home doesn't sell is because of the price. And uh, Alan will go ahead and pulverize that um, common misconception with this point. And hopefully it's a professional pulverizing process here. And the reason I'm very enthusiastic about eviscerating these calcified cliches is because there's no one listening as part of this audience that ever came up with this thinking. Sure. This was just imposed upon them. We inherited it. And the reason we inherited this from our real estate ancestors is because we were more influenced by what other industries do than we influence them. 
And in stocks, the market determines the price because you can't negotiate a stock price. But if you sold a million dollars of stock, if you work for like E-Trade, I think your commission's about 12 to $20. Now, how many realtors <coughs> would accept a $20 commission for a million dollar home for sale? They wouldn't. But that begs the question, but why would they think they deserve more if the market determines the price? See, the market determines the price of commodities and of stocks because you can't negotiate, you don't stage, and so forth and so on. In real estate, the market only influences the price. What determines is it? What determines rather the price, the outcome, the buyer, the buyer agent, the seller, <coughs> the seller agent, the lender, the appraiser. There's multiple stakeholders, but when we buy into what outside people have come in and told us, because that applies to their discipline or some ad agency, that the market determines the price, that undermines the entire essence and value of a realtor, of a real estate professional, and especially of a marketing person. The same thing is if somebody goes through their entire career thinking the only reason a home does not sell is because it's overpriced, that means the only reason it does sell is because it was priced properly. That eviscerates value as well. There's only one reason a home doesn't sell in North America as well as the entire globe. That's because of ineffective marketing because price is part of marketing, but marketing is not part of price. That's a huge one. You're going to want to write that one down. Price is part of marketing. Marketing is not just part of price because one thing I do remember from business school shout out to your college of Pennsylvania, was the four P's of marketing. Exactly. In every marketing class, you know, it's about product, price, promotion, and place. Price is one little component exactly. of marketing. So you, the brilliance here is when you think about things top level, macro, is if you can wrap your head around these concepts, it's gonna, you're going to end up getting this innate ability to communicate effectively with your clients and educate your, your peers from other industries to, so they understand what you do. And I'm a lifer. Yeah, and not only that, value has been driven downward to make sure that we have a well-populated industry. You can't have a million eight hundred thousand real estate professionals if everybody is successful or if there's a high bar. Real estate's the hardest. Real estate's the easiest business to get into, but it's the hardest to be successful. That's why we were talking last night at dinner, Andrew. The people that you know in the Rethink Council, the top brokers, they'd be immensely successful in any business, in any industry. The leaders of the people that are the most successful in real estate, I admire more than any professionals in the world. They're on straight commission. They don't have 401ks. They're not given business, okay? They've got to earn every single penny. It's a meritocracy. Um, they've got to be marketing. They've got to do negotiating. They've got to do psychology. And now they've got to do sociology. But these are the top people but that's not like most of the industry. That's why there is an 80-20 and 90-10 rule. So we're talking really for the people that are all in. And so, but the people that are all in have been somewhat contaminated by the mean. The mean is you've got a beautiful, lovely, charming, gracious, special. The mean is I do listing presentations. The mean is the market determines the price because you don't want to make it that difficult why would you ever have people have responsibility if you want everybody to be able to come in the industry? You can't have it as tough. You can't make it difficult. You've got to have easy answers. The home didn't sell because it's overpriced. What that leads to is this, Andrew. There hasn't been one realtor that I've ever heard in the country that's ever said this, or company. 
Those homes didn't sell because we were horrible. Those homes didn't sell because we stink. Isn't it amazing that every single time a home has not sold in the history of the country, it never had anything to do with the real estate agent? It's all because the homeowner didn't follow the impeccable, infallible pricing wisdom of the agent. And, and here's the whole thing. And then it, it leads to this conversation. I say, Andrew, <clears throat> I think homes didn't sell because of ineffective marketing. You could be the devil's advocate, though, and say, no, I think a home didn't sell. No, you, you could say, I could say it didn't sell because of ineffective marketing. You can say, Alan, even if there's no marketing, if you lower the price enough, somebody's going to buy it. Andrew, I think the home didn't sell because there was no effective negotiating. Negotiating. You can say, well, even if you horrible negotiating, if you lower the price, somebody's going to buy it. Andrew, I think the home didn't sell because there wasn't adequate staging. Alan, even if there's no staging, if you lower the price enough, somebody's going to buy it. Alan, you could have five dead bodies in the basement, and if you lower the price enough, somebody's going to buy it. And that was the attitude of the whole industry. Just keep lowering the price because the only reason a home doesn't sell is because of price as opposed to elevate the marketing. Because we took the four P's of marketing and we said, let's jettison 75% and let's have everything just price because that's something that the homeowner is ultimately more responsible for than are we. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be priced reasonably, but it's got to be easy to show. It's got to show well. There's a, a whole slew of things you have to do exactly. to market effectively. And we're not even getting into the social media metrics and all the stuff yeah. that I've been studying for the last five years. I'm, it's so refreshing to hear somebody say that this is the easiest business to get into. Yeah. Can't argue that, but it's the hardest to be without successful a doubt. Because you know what we have to deal with? It's like mental warfare, not just from clients. Because we're here to serve clients and represent communities and do all these things. But it's, but to, to build an organization around no salary, no it's benefits, amazing. no nothing, and oh by the and way, and the nicest people, and they care most about other people. They care most about the communities. That you go to. There's no conventions. In fact, I once spoke at Atlantic City at the triple play at the convention and I was playing blackjack the night before and the blackjack dealer said you must be in for the realtor convention I said yes yeah. she goes they're our favorite conventions because they tip the best of anybody else they're the nicest people the realtors that was great well the ones who come to the convention probably were invited because they're successful go meet a bunch yeah. of broke agents they're not that nice <laughs> um, this is a big one for anyone who's trying to grow a team and a big part of the forever agent movement we are going to have some um, content on teams and, and I'm going to try to play as big a role as I can on that because that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to build something bigger than me. Uh, we need a team. I want to have 30, 40, 50 agents. We want to sell a billion dollars of real estate. It's not outlandish. Right. We already have exactly. we, you know, We're a quarter of the way there. I'm exactly. 34. Why not get there? Exactly. So here, how do we go from recruiting and retention, industry buzzwords, you always hear it, recruiting and retention. Okay. How do we go from that to selection and development? Well, that's been one of my passions for many years. In fact, I wrote a book about that very subject. The challenge that the industry has is that I don't think there's any other entity that spends as much devotion to the word recruiting as the real estate industry does other than the military. God bless them. And then there's only one other group that spends as much time talking about retention, and unfortunately that would be the prisons. And so I th do think we have to evolve from recruiting and retention. I've seen a lot of my colleagues very good-natured and, and, and well-intentioned. I go to their offices and I'd see a little sign, recruiting solves every problem a manager could ever have. See, sometimes that says to everybody in the organization, 
you're like an interchangeable widget. There's a revolving door here. It play it drives down the value and the importance of a realtor, of a real estate professional. The more that we talk about development, the less we have to talk about retention. And so they they go hand in hand. And then at some point in time, maybe I'll have all of the developmental programs that I can refer to. But it's all about selection. And it's it's really basically making sure that you're matching up. That's why we want to select we want to select agents that are committed to the four foundational values, that are willing to take a pledge, that will embrace the marketing system, will embrace the coaching, the platform, that want to convert their databases to client bases, that want to close the loyalty gap, that want to not just have a sphere of influence, but influence their sphere. These are all specific objectives that require trust, integrity, stability, and longevity, and a different professional attitude to upgrade a company. And by the way, Andrew, do I think other people are going to imitate some of this? Sure. They already you, are, Alan. Yeah, you can look for They're going to say convert the database, which I've been saying for years here. That's what's going to happen. But in a sense, I like that because the whole industry has to evolve because otherwise, with artificial intelligence and blockchain and disruption that's coming down the pike, it isn't going to be pretty if we don't make these changes. But if we make the changes, it can be the most wonderful next 10, 15, 20 years. I'm not going to be here and doing this 10 or 15 years, obviously. But you are. You're going to be my ghost writer. Yeah, I'm going to be a ghost. <laughs> no, I'll be a be ghost. ghost. I won't be a ghost writer. I'll be a ghost. Well, there's but so many There's so many ideas. The people yeah. are going to steal. And look, that's that's the um, foremost form of flattery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People have been copying you for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And when, I, when I'm talking to these other icons inside the network who have these big businesses, I can't tell you how many times people have said, oh, no, no, we got that from, uh, that Alan Dalton came here and talked about that, to us about that in 2014. Yeah, whatever, whatever. I mean, you get it all the yeah. time, though. So if there was like a, a, a family tree of where these ideas come from, there's a couple hubs, and I just want you to know, we all recognize you're, you're one of them. So, all right, this is another dialogue. I want to stick to some of these dialogues, which is, how's the market dialogue? Because <clears throat> I get this every day. I think I can answer it intelligently, but I want to hear how, how the legend himself would answer that question. When I was in the insurance business, and I used to walk into a room the room used to divide like Moses and the Red Sea. Now, when I get into the real estate business, everybody approached me. Now, why is it that people don't go up to life insurance agents and say, how's the life insurance business going? Why not? Because they're afraid they're going to be sold. Real estate agents, they're not afraid of being sold. And so because of that, because, because people approach the industry, because we actually have many consumers that love real estate even more than some people who sell it. We have people outside who invest in real estate more than realtors invest in real estate. Oh, of course. Exactly. And so, and so because of that, because people approached us, we never had to develop selling muscles to offset consumer resistance because, because people knew they were safe. So when somebody came up and said, how's the market? We came up with these most pathetic responses in the history of the world of selling. We had actually had people say, it's great. It's unbelievable. It's oh, hot. it's evened off. It's hot. It's cooled off. It's this, it's that. As if they're giving a weather report as opposed to using this as a sales opportunity. Now, many years ago, there was a very famous trainer, God bless him, 
I don't know what he's doing today or if he's alive or whatever, but he was a great person. I won't name him, but he got everybody in the industry to say when somebody asks, how's the market, to say, just say it's unbelievable. Therefore, if the market prices are going up or down, you're covered because it was handled as an objection rather than an opportunity. So when somebody asks, how's the market, and somebody says, uh, it's not great, it's unbelievable, it's evened off, it's a buyer's market, it's a seller's market, all of those are horrible in my opinion, things to say. If somebody says it's a buyer's market, somebody may be selling. If somebody says it's a great seller's market, they may be buying. And you may not know that, even though if you do know their personality types, chuckle, chuckle. Okay, so now what I suggest is this. Anytime somebody asks, how's the market, that you respond in this fashion. Andrew, thanks for asking. Now let's stop right there. What percentage of real estate professionals, when somebody asks them a question, say thanks for asking? Probably not many. Next to none. Unless they've been through world-class training programs at the corporate level. Because you're taught, anytime somebody asks you about something you sell, thank them, reward them. Alan, how's the market? Andrew, thanks for asking. We're in a very opportunistic market. There are great opportunities for buyers, sellers, and investors here in Maryland. In fact, now I'd like to ask you a question. Time out. The reason why earlier I said thanks for asking is based on the principle of reciprocity, I want to memorialize that you asked me, now I should ask you. Now I'd like to ask you a question, Andrew. When do you think you might be making your next real estate move? Oh, probably not for three to five years. Okay, well, what would be the reason? Well, we just need to get to better schools. Okay, great. Well, you know what? If you're not going to move for two or three years, it's probably too soon for us to get together to talk about a marketing strategy for your home. But I'd like to get over sometime within the next year, within the next several months, and start planning a merchandising strategy to make sure that someday when you do sell your home, that you optimize its value. And by the way, Andrew, I've been meaning to ask you, I'd love you to become one of my real estate clients. You do that for, I'm not, not moved for five years, Alan. That's the very reason I want you to become one of my real estate clients, because I want to help you either plan. I have a lot of programs on home improvement, on how to appeal property taxes, about how to enhance the value that's what I do for my clients. In fact, I have a little brochure here. I'm with Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, and we make a commitment to longevity, to the four values of trust, integrity, stability, and longevity, and creating forever clients, just like kind of like financial planners. Do you have a financial planner? Of course. Well, now we, that's why we're with Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, because we're working along those lines. And so I'm gonna, what I'd like to do is I'd like to send you over. One of the things to start off with is our real estate lifestyle planning guide, okay? It will help you plan I can email it to you. And by the way, so um, you said five years. What do you think would be the reason three or five years from now that you'd want to move? Well, I just know that's by the time our kids are going to be going into the, you know, first, second grade. Like schools become really important now, but that's on the agenda. Okay, that's great. Um, And so we won't go any further because not everybody has an instant need. Right. But what I want to do is I want to follow up with you. And then there's 10 ways that I can keep you as a client that have nothing to do with you making a transaction. Now, you've been in this business for 12 years, Andrew. Yeah. If every single person that ever asked you how the market is, if you did with them exactly what I did with you, how much more successful do you think you'd be right now? Well, I'd be a lot further along. I've never heard in the history of time, and trust, I've taken as much training as I can get my hands on. I'm a training personal yeah. development junkie. Right, right. I've never heard anyone say, and I bet anyone listening hasn't either, asking someone the question of, would you like to be one of my real estate clients? 
even after it's apparent that they're not immediately going to be involved in a transaction. That is brilliant. That is a key differentiator. And that's going to be in, in all of the um, kind of assets that the forever agents are going to get. Well, you know, Andrew, the reason it's never been asked, and I too am a, I hate to use the word junkie because it can mean dreadful consequences for, for blessed souls out there. But I've always been a real estate junkie, as you know, as well. And I've traced it. Mike Ferry dedicated his book to me years ago, so I used to go to a lot of Mike's That's retreats. That's Tom Ferry's dad. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and I remember Tom when he was a little, little wonderful little boy, and I was a great leader. But the point is that what I used to, um, but, I, but the reason why people have never asked, I'd like you to be my client, is because we've defined the word client based on a transaction. Right. So if somebody is not going to move for five years, why would we ask them to be our client? And then if they become a client during the transaction, then they want to be a past client. And so what we have to do to preemptively disrupt these listing side disruptors and to countervail artificial intelligence, blockchain, all of these prop tech, okay, which is why I own the URL prop touch to countervail prop tech. We can talk about that later, perhaps. The only way you're going to do it is to try to stake your claim because once people will accept you, people have high affiliation needs. We've got some wonderful coaches out there. And because we've got wonderful coaches and wonderful training programs like Mike Ferry, Tom Ferry, Brian Buffini, Ninja, we've got people walking around saying, I'm a ninja. God bless them. I'm a Ferryite. I'm a Buffiniite. There's high affiliation needs, but they don't have as many people in their markets saying that they're an Alan Daltonite, an Andrew Undermite, because they're not replicating what these great coaches are doing with them. The great coaches aren't sending them calendars and pumpkins. They're having more substantive help and guidance. That's why they have allegiance. The public desperately wants to have allegiance. Okay, we're not giving them the chance. When people say the, the buyers aren't loyal, the, the reason there's a loyalty gap is we're not loyal to the consumer. And we're not loyal to them because when we advertise, when you're ready to buy, sell a home, give me a call, that's lightly as light years different than saying to every single person, I want to, I want you to become one of my clients. It's not quid pro quo. It doesn't mean that's when you're ready to buy, sell a home. It means right now, forever. That's what this whole idea is about. That's why I took the pledge. And look, to wrap up the anthology, look, we we are we have a hundred more points. We could literally yeah. be this here till midnight. Part one. This is part one. But that last bit was so powerful. And we can talk about prop tech and we can talk about being a storyteller and how to build a team and more dialogues and the sure, coverage and sure. assets. And we're going yeah. to, and, yeah. and look, we're going to be doing a lot of this, but I want to wrap up for part one with the pledge. You've been taking people through the pledge. This is still pretty new within the network. There might be a lot of people that says, what is the pledge? What is that sticker? You got it on your phone. Hold that up. I wear it. Anytime I'm going to anything Berkshire Hathaway home services related, the pledge means something. This is our movement. Everything that Alan has shared today and will continue to share is based on the philosophy that we need to be forever agents. And that means serving at a higher level. Stop doing the, not the micro stuff, but the macro stuff. And every tactic you've shared has that DNA in it. And look, you want this DNA in your real estate business. Everybody does. Well, you know, Andrew, in terms of the, the forever and the macro. That's why, for example, like something like 71% of people have and love their pets. We've got a program moving with, pet, with pets. 
But not every realtor even brings that to their open houses. I think pet owners love pets more than they do realtors. They're more likely to pick up a brochure on how to buy or sell a home with a pet than a, than a realtor's buyer. We're missing the point. That's a macro idea. We have how to downsize. We have move, improve, or relocate. When people are deciding to move and improve, they're not even calling in their realtor. And because the realtor's not even called in, they don't get that listing if they sell. They don't get their new home that they buy. And they don't get referrals from the vendors because they're not operating as a forever agent. If they don't have a client's-only directory, they're not getting from all of the vendors. And so these are the programs that we have. But as Gerda said, in order to do, you must first be, and you've got to first want to be, and not think if this is some joke or what's this, Pet Rock 2.0 or something, something like 250-plus companies have people take pledges. President, Supreme Court Justice, Canadian Round to Police, all over the world, China, people take oaths and pledges if they think what they do, they're doing is important. Doctors? Doctors. The Hippocratic both goes FBI back to ancient agents. Greece, and the doctors have four parts of their oath, just like we have four parts. If somebody thinks that what they do is worthy, realtors have to, I believe, start having greater internal value and respect for who they are. Because if anyone thinks that they're not worthy, like doctors, like lawyers, like police officers, to take an oath... Now, because of the forever agent oath, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services agents can take two, pl two pledges. One, they make a pledge to being a realtor, to follow the code of ethics and so forth, so that everybody has that pledge. Now we're the only brand that has a secondary pledge. That is to not only to do right and be ethical, but to do it for your clients forever. That's a worthwhile and worthy objective. And you're going to teach them how to do it. Exactly. We try to breeze through some of the... There's a ton of um, really intelligent marketing programs that Alan's created and used for decades that are now specifically tailored for us and our brand. You mentioned, and there's, and there's so many tactics on how to use these things, like placing them at their open houses. Like, look, I don't have pets. Does that mean I shouldn't have a moving with pets guy? Exactly. This is a way to attract, to have people seek you out. At the macro level. At the macro level. So... I'm going to close this out, Alan, for part one, yep. the inaugural Forever Agent podcast. Um, first off, just by saying thank you so much for coming to Baltimore, to Bel Air. I'll do anything I can ever do to help this movement grow because I believe in it. And I believe in the guy who, whose brain it came out of and who's kind of leading the teams that are going to help um, democratize this information across our entire, uh, our entire global network. Um, you're a phenom in the industry. And... We all are just lucky to have you here at our brand. Thanks again for coming out. And if there's anything you want to close with, feel free. I would just say, Andrew, you're a tribute to the industry. You're a tribute to your lovely family. You're a team player. That's why you've got a, the Sure Group that all follows you because of all you do is talk about how great they are. The other people within your brand, your CEO, uh, Broker Rod, uh, everybody that you work with, the, your, the, the praise you give, Gino and Christy and Bob, you're a tribute to your parents. I know your father is on the faculty at Johns Hopkins, the preeminent medical university in the world, or one of them, along with Harvard University. And it just and and the greatness of your parents speaks through you. And you're again, you're a tribute to the industry. You're what the industry needs to represent. Well, that's the best compliment I've ever got. Stay tuned for more.
forever agent podcast episodes. They're going to be coming fast and furious. Guys, I had 40 things. We got through 22. This is part one. It won't be the last. Thanks for tuning in.